PFL is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Tennessee, of course, headed to a bowl game for the first time since 2016, and if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you want to be there to see it. Well, if you're going to do that, game time is the best place to make that happen. Of course, if you're going to be around Knoxville too, Christmas events, concerts, music and theater, all that stuff, game time has that too. The app is simple, quick, easy to navigate, and easy two-tap checkout. Download the game time app in the Google Play or the App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Hello again, welcome to another post-game edition of PFL, Pod for Life, Tennessee. Uh, the season officially rescued from 1-4, and four. Vols 7-5, and five, where I had them preseason, where a lot of people had them preseason. Seven-win season for this team, six of their last seven. Victories, uh, impressive. Tennessee took some pride in this game, uh, I thought. Uh, we've rehashed sort of the, the, the comeback and... All those things, I felt like the post-game preference conference in a lot of ways was a little derivative of things that have been talked about a lot. But uh, the players were interesting. Matthew Butler, when you lose to Vanderbilt, to keep it real with you, that's embarrassing. It's good to get a win. <laughs> Brandon Kennedy, we didn't start how he wanted to, but we were able to, wait for it, anchor down and get it right. Subtle, oh subtle, Brandon Kennedy, <laughs> subtle. <laughs> And then Nigel Warrior being able to break this little streak they had going on. It feels amazing. Trey Smith. It's our state, so it's nice restoring the balance. I don't sense this is the spiciest rivalry, but when you get when you flip a smaller program's streak, there's plenty of satisfaction. Tennessee took some. What did you make of, of guys were a little salty post game. What did you make of that? First of all, I want you I want to thank you for a nice intro there so I can finish my fudge bar. This is my first <laughs> podcasting with a fudge bar attempt. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I didn't see, now, talking to uh, Adam Sparks, Vanderbilt beat writer for the Tennessee, and apparently there was some dancing, like Derek Mason's post-game dance on the field a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. A little I bit don't know that that was more. See, the, some Tennessee fans were mad about that last year. I took that more as getting to a bowl game. Dancing, then rubbing it in Tennessee's face. I guess technically it can be both. Yeah, you know, who knows? Yeah, there's a lot of things. It's like, was that intentional or not? Yeah, happening at the end of this game. But yeah, it's yeah. it's an interesting rivalry because, and and I've I can recall some Tennessee quotes after losses. Actually, really kind of trying to hold back, but basically saying we should never lose to Vanderbilt. You know, I mean, on paper they, they on did. paper they're not wrong. Right. So, you know, look. It's an in-state rivalry, so I appreciate any kind of shade thrown either way and uh, snide comments, passive-aggressive stuff. Uh, but it, it, it's never – I mean, it's just it's, – it, I don't think it can be like other rivalries because Tennessee – by the way, we were both right, 7-5. Tennessee at mediocre should beat Vanderbilt at good. Mm-hmm. And, and I know Vanderbilt fans – 
don't want to hear that, but it's just, it's been, hey, you can't take away the three wins in a row that they had. But you figured at some point Tennessee was going to uh, flip it around. And I did sense, David, out there, certainly on the sidelines late. I mean, this was, with some of these guys, I think especially the older guys, it's some built-up stuff to get out. Mm -hmm. And they did. They did. It was was emphatic. This game was um, not really in doubt for the better part of the three quarters. (laughs) Like like many of Tennessee's wins this season and, and some of their losses, too. I don't know how many plays we're going to remember from this game uh, a, a week from now. Uh, I think you think back on this season, you know, the BYU bust, the Kentucky goal line stand. Beyond that, I'm not sure that we're going to look back on these 12 games and really remember a whole lot other than Tennessee sort of rallying its season. But beyond Eric Gray, who we'll get to in a second, did anything stand out to you about this game specifically? I mean, it barely qualified as a football game for a lot of the It day. was not great. Of course, and then, of course, we get the extra time with the delay, <laughs> and then the delay late. Uh, hey, hearty souls left in the stadium at the end there. I, you tell me. I wrote a, maybe 10,000 people at the end left. You know, I, that was probably generous. Yeah. All those people should be given season tickets next season. <laughs> well, on, on one sideline, it was still pretty good, and then elsewhere it was, you know, obviously it, you know, those people were washed out. But, uh, yeah, really Eric Gray. And I'm trying to think of other games, too. I mean, I, I guess some of the Garantano pitch-and-catch moments at Missouri, you know, some really impressive, which was weird when you think about that was a week ago, and, like, tonight he completed six passes, and it, it starts 0 for 7. You're like, yeah. will they complete a pass against Vanderbilt? <laughs> but, hey, Eric Gray, you know, Ty Chandler's got a bum ankle. Eric Gray gets a chance, and it's funny how that happens. Early in the year, we were like, wow, Eric Gray. Look at this guy, and then whatever what if the freshman wall, other guys just get you know getting carries instead of him. But boy, you can see the immense talent that kid has in the future he has ahead of him. Fifth best performance all time, 246 yards. Freshman record. I think he broke Jamal Lewis's record. He said a fan uh, educated him on the history of Tennessee running backs. Uh, I'm sorry, Eric Gray. I'm trying to deal with that. I can only imagine that one-sided conversation as Eric Gray is awkwardly trying to finish his dinner or whatever was happening. <laughs> uh, he had 94-yard scores, 56-yard scores. He said he had a 96-yarder his junior year of high school, so uh, no new trailblaze there. But 246 yards, Matthew Butler called him the best one-cut back on the roster. We said similar things in the preseason. I mean, well, not in the preseason, but the first month of the season. Treated like the preseason. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then he did kind of despair. What did you make of his night tonight? Well, look, again, I assume that at some point he was a little banged up in there, which happens, of course. People always talk about the freshman wall. But early on, he had some runs in the first couple of games. You're like, how do you keep this guy up? Yeah, the right? Georgia State one uh, was like a 12-yard run, but he made like four people miss. And you're just like, wow. I remember I remember watching that play with George, with Chattanooga's coaches, and they were like, oh, my gosh, we can't tackle this guy. It's interesting hearing him describe it. You know, obviously, you know, he's a one-cut, and he can, he can turn it up. But he's also very shifty. I mean, he's, you know, I think a Ty Chandler is a one-cut back. You know, go downhill, you know, stick your foot in the ground, and, you know, turn on the jets. But he's... You know, Eric Gray, I think of, I have thought of as more like the shiftier, uh, elusive guy. Outside. Yeah, yeah, you know, change of speed, all that stuff. But you saw the absolute just straight-ahead speed here, too. So, it's, uh, look, I mean, Tim Jordan has played so well, you had to give him carries this year. And, obviously, I still think Ty Chandler is, 
I mean, I think he's the most complete bat. Yeah, I think you can win with all three of those guys. Yeah. Gray, the rawest, highest ceiling in my mind. Chandler, yeah. the best overall. But Jordan, you can win with that guy. He's, he's, he plays well. Well, Jordan's going to get you, you know, five if there's four and four if there's three. And, you know, he's no, there's no frills with him. Mm-hmm. But he's also going to make the other team feel it if they keep tackling him over and over. So, I mean, yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice trio. It hasn't really been thought of as a trio. Now, now, whoever they play in the bowl game is going to have to look at this guy. Um, and, you know, that's the thing, too. With these bowl practices, you you kind of focus a little bit on getting young guys more reps and things like that. And so uh, it's, it's a really nice way to end 2019 for a guy who's going to be a big part of the offense next year. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been through – you talk about his maturation. He's been through a little journey. He talks a little bit about it. He said, you know, holes close faster in college. And I think when you talk about being a one-cut back, I think some of that is, is growing up a little bit and – and, and Pruitt mentioned a little bit earlier in the season, he felt like he danced a little bit too much, just hit the hole, and, and you saw that. He doesn't score from 94 yards out if he doesn't hit the hole. He doesn't score from 56. I mean, he cut that upfield and shook the safety, and then he was gone. Uh, but he said he, you know, he, he's learned a lot. Uh, he's talking about his maturation process as a, a college back was pretty interesting. Pruitt even said he lost a step midseason, but but it's came or come on late and all season it kind of rode the hot hand at running back. Like I said, I, I don't know that it really matters all that much who gets it going. I've I've written a little bit about how Gray probably needs more touches, but uh, and tonight was complicated because look, you can't you can't knock 246 yards. It's a lot of yards. But in the same breath, you do have a really bad run defense in Vanderbilt who has given up 390 yards like three times this year. And the, the offensive line was clearing the way. I, I would credit the O-line for a lot of that. I would credit Gray's skills for a lot of that. I would credit Vandy's uh, less than stellar run defense for a lot of that. But you combine all those things and you get the kind of night um, that we saw, and and with with Ty Chandler, I guess basically unavailable. Someone said he was available for, for returning kicks. I didn't see him out there, but either way, they did not plan to give him many touches. But Gray was ready, um, and and Tennessee benefited in a in a big big way. I thought. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh, it, this is obviously if you're a running back looking at this game, you know, all I'm sure all of them. Chandler, I'm sure, is like this is the game I have the bad <laughs> Yeah, angle, exactly. Really. The Vanderbilt game. I think really. they threw it, uh, what are the total numbers here, 40-something times and, and and or threw it uh, like 15, 20 times and ran it 40 or 50. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and with yeah, great success, like you said. So you're right, he, a beneficiary of the situation there, but good for him. It, it seems like it's not like I mean, look, he's a talented guy. He's going to be have a big role next year and all that. But it's it's good to have a game like this. I think for your confidence and you're probably I think there's a little bit of I've been watching a lot of Barry Sanders highlights because they've had all the NFL all all time one hundred teams. I think arguably the greatest running back ever, but definitely a guy who at times it's like well you could have had three yards and you had an incredible run that turned into a minus one yard run. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you know it is just it is the one cut and go. And he was better at that in this game. So mm-hmm. this offense, uh, if you can put that together, you know, in the bowl game, you could have something against probably a good opponent. You know, one thing Jeremy Pruitt said after the game I thought was really interesting and um, probably the only new territory I think people covered. Because at this point, like, they've kind of been back. This game, this game was pretty much exactly what a lot of people expected. But he said, unless you were here the first day I walked into this building, I don't think you understand how far we've come. Now, I was not here the first day he walked into this building. I was here about six months after he walked into this building. He's mentioned a couple 
thing, you know, the scholarship limit, they're they're at like 76 right now with the 85 allowed. Talent's been an issue. Um, I still think, you know, in our revealing interview with Jonathan Congo, which you can find on The Athletic from last spring, I guess, you know, the amount of time they were spending in the offseason, the biggest alarm bell that I've ever seen, that, that reads to me like a guy who has not been around a ton of SEC programs. That was very surprising. Um... So all those things, I think we know about when you when you heard him say that. What what did you sort of take away from what he kind of meant by that? I'm like, oh, some shaded Butch Jones, huh? Yeah, a little <laughs> bit, a little bit. You know, but I mean, yeah, I think it's. I took it as just the whole picture, like you know, some personnel shortages, but also some attitude adjustments needed, and just an overall such an overused word, but culture <laughs> that needed to be, uh, you know, changed. I mean, it's. When you at that the program at that point, not only coming off that season and, and the way it flamed out on Butch at the end, but also the coaching search. I mean, like, like just Tennessee in general had just been lampooned so much, and so I think you know inside the program, how does that not have any impact? Mm-hmm. So I took it just as just a long way to go from just about any angle you could look at it, and maybe a little bit of thanks a lot, Butch. You know, the one thing I think is interesting about the coaching search, and, and last year we did a ton of exit interviews. I forget how many. It was six or seven um, of all the guys that left the program. And I did ask all of them about the coaching search, and they all kind of – it felt like the players were kind of insulated from the insanity, but you still went a long time without knowing, like, oh, well, who's – you know, who am I trying to please today? What You know, I think they all knew Brady Hoke was not going to get that job. No matter how many all caps texts he <laughs> said, I think I think we. I all want the job now. <laughs> I would love to be considered for your job. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> I'll never get tired of the Brady Hoke texts. I won't. <laughs> but anyway, but I, I'm amazed at how it felt like it didn't necessarily take a toll on them mentally, which I found hard to believe a little bit, and maybe still. But none of them had a lot to say about the coaching search. But when you think about you know, what do you feel like is the biggest hurdle that Tennessee has had to get over to get to the point where they haven't been to a bowl game since 2016, a very disappointing season. They play Vanderbilt with a chance to go to the New Year's Six. They're denied. But when you think about the biggest hurdles that they've had to go through coming from that season where you have, you know, probably about the same level of bowl game they're going to be headed to, but a very different taste in your mouth, What's been the toughest part of getting back into the postseason? That's a good question. I, I, you know, I mean, it's always they have not been talented enough. You know, of course, to compete with the, with the top of the league, they've had some talent though. I mean, over the years, even you think about those late Butch teams and, and some of the players they had. I mean, Derek Barnett and I mean Joshua Dobbs was a terrific you know college player for the Vols. Um, you know, Alvin Kamara. I mean, they had they've had talent. They haven't had enough. They haven't had enough up front. So, like, I think of that, but I think it's just an overall, you know, just like, God, I'm not going to say culture again. (laughs) Uh, But it's like a winning, you know, just getting away from the negativity. It's so easy. It goes both ways quickly, I think, in college football programs. And, I mean, look, I think think it got tougher for Pruitt this year. We talked about it then. I still believe it. Like, when you lose to Georgia State, like, you just made your job tougher. I think it was true. You know, because it – look – you can these guys can say, oh yeah, I didn't really didn't really pay attention. But anybody who's ever on Twitter or anything, they see like when this or this happens and the coaches are it's like, oh my gosh, and what people are saying. You can't, you're not. Very few people are actually isolated from that stuff. 
So I, to me, it's just like getting that expectation of winning and just the positivity rolling um, because it just got it got so bad at the end of Butch, of course. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's ne- of course it was never going to be easy for Jeremy Pruitt to just snap his fingers and change it. But I, I don't. I think there. Some of it is is tangible. Some of it's intangible. But the intangibles are big. It's a really important thing. Not a great answer by me, but I try <laughs> to not use the word culture. I think you know from pure football perspective. Think about the difference between Tennessee on the line of scrimmage last year and this year, on both sides. They had a really experienced group on the defensive line last year. They were not very good. And now you had two NFL starters on that group. Kyle Phillips, Shai Tuttle, undrafted, starting for NFL teams right now. That's a good point. You know, Pruitt had them for a year. What are you going to do? But this year, you have basically start from scratch, a bunch of guys who haven't really played. I don't know. I don't know if I'd call them better, but they weren't that much different. They have found a way to put all that together and make it work. And then the offensive line... I mean, night and day. There's a bajillion different reasons why. We've talked about them in this podcast. I've written about them. The personnel is different. The experience, all that stuff is very different. But Jeremy Pruitt wants to be good on the lines of scrimmage. And Tennessee was below average in the run game on the offensive line, but above average is pass blocking. And last year, they were a disaster on both. And then defensive line, below average probably last year. I'd say they were a about average, maybe a slightly better this year, and, and oh, way, considering yeah, and way better at the end. Yeah, especially the way that they've played. You know, it, you can't totally just just rule out the first uh, month of the season, but the last month of the season has been, I would say, above average on the defensive line. Those guys aren't getting a ton of pressures, a ton of uh, sacks, a ton of big plays, but they're not getting pushed around. And you came out from watching that Georgia State game, and you're thinking they're going to get pushed around by everybody, and that has not been the case. And so I think when you look at how this program has developed. I mean, it's just as simple as the line of scrimmage, and I think that for Jeremy Pruitt, both in his mind and in how he wants his program to look, that's probably the most important thing. And when you're looking to project the future of this program, you got to feel pretty good year over year for all the records and the wins and all that stuff and all the big picture stuff, just looking micro. How much better are you on the line of scrimmage? Both sides of the ball, you got to feel really, really good moving forward. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, the offensive line, I think Trey Smith probably going to the NFL, but I still think could be really special next year and get some guys back on the D-line and, and some guys coming in. I do think that Daniel Batuli, you know, makes a big difference too. A lot of things where, you know, a lot of things that weren't getting cleaned up the first couple of weeks and then Toe Toe coming on, those guys played really well. And so that helps you. Obviously, it all it's all, you know, big puzzle goes together. But still, like you said, I – I really thought, man, what are they going to do in the SEC? How are they going to hang in? And they made they it. Were, those two guys made it through. You're ba- you basically asked them once Will Ignat and Shannon Reed transferred. You basically said, all right, they don't have anyone else behind those guys. You say you got to play seven games where you're basically never leaving the field. Seven games later, Tennessee's won six of them, and those guys barely left the field, and they were pretty good. And, you know, dislocated kneecap aside, Tennessee survived with two linebackers. And I mean, that's really unbelievable. It really is. Just, I mean, really, really great players. Um, but Thule, you know, it's an interesting on the game at the end of the or on the field at the end of the game. You know, Jawan Jennings, of course, like the most vocal, the most beloved, the most 
loved by Tennessee people and the most hated by Vanderbilt and probably other <laughs> fans. Perfect, you know, encapsulated that late. And he was all over the place. And then Batuli, kind of like, the, it's almost a yin and yang with those two guys. Batuli's like the most, you know, quiet, chill, but also like, you know, great leader and kind of lingering and talking to all the Vanderbilt guys. Interesting kind of dual... Uh, leadership situation there with very different personalities for Tennessee. Yeah, I don't know if Juwan was doing any jersey exchanges after this one. I don't, I don't think that was happening. Uh, he doesn't like Vanderbilt very much, I guess. That's what I've heard. Uh, my sources say he, he really does not like Vanderbilt. Bowl game. Trey Smith says he doesn't care. Fans care. I care where I'm going to be spending a week during the holidays. It sounds like Tampa or Jacksonville. Depends on how many SEC teams go to the New Year's Six. What are you making? What do you want to see from the Tennessee uh, Bowl destination and opponent combo? Yeah, well, I, th- I think they should be in Florida. I think they will be in Florida. Yeah. I guess Tampa, I, that, that still has always seemed a bit like a stretch to me, but I guess I could see it. I mean, it seems like Jacksonville would be, very much would want Tennessee. Tennessee always gets the, the benefit of the doubt when you travel like yeah, Tennessee fans no do. Doubt. That helps them. Right. So, And they just had Texas A&M, so, um, you know, Against if it's like Jacksonville against a Michigan, could that, that would be so happen? interesting? That would be fun. I'd like to see that. That could be a very fun game. So that, I mean, that's a really good reward. And I know Memphis would love Tennessee. Nashville would always love Tennessee. Um, there's the Belt Bowl in Charlotte as a possibility. But to me, I, it seems to me like they should be locked into Florida if things go as expected. Well, and you know they're going to show up because they haven't been to a bowl game in three years. You're coming off of six wins in seven games. I mean, Tennessee is really attractive for some of those mid-level bowl games. I think Tennessee is going to be pretty happy. You know, when this all shakes out, I mean, there's basically no negatives for them. Uh, they haven't been anywhere in a while. And like I said, the enthusiasm is going to be off the charts. You're going to sell tickets. I don't know how attractive Tennessee would be to a national television audience, but you got a ton of fans. They're going to show up. They're going to travel. Uh, and, and I think Tennessee will be very happy uh, wherever they end up at this point. And if you do play, I guess it could be like, you know, like an Iowa, actually Indiana, maybe. I mean, they're, they're a resurgent team, really surprised team this year. But I mean, you could have an exciting, fun game, and I mean, look—if you could play and beat a Michigan, you know, that's still a really good team. That would be a heck of a victory for this program. So, you know, maybe more opportunity too that you maybe don't have as much if you go uh, a tier below that. Tennessee, Jeremy Pruitt better hope they don't play and beat Michigan because then you're going to fall subject to the overhyped. I don't know if anyone's taking a gander at Tennessee. They started Oklahoma next year. Yeah, you're going to take a gander at Tennessee's schedule next year. They win seven games this year. If you look at that schedule next year, that's a that's a seven eight win schedule next year. Uh, and this is still a team that didn't really beat anybody this year. I think Tennessee is going to put the full brakes on any hype machine that happens over the offseason. And Tennessee is a prime candidate for that. Uh, but next year is not the year. 2021 is the year that if Tennessee is going to make a run at some real meaningful hardware. That'd be the year. I, I think I'll be interested to see how many people Jeremy Pruitt sits down with in the offseason. I think they'll put the, the brakes on that. But don't don't ruin twenty twenty four already. Twenty twenty will be a, they'll be better. I think they listen. They'll, I think they could be a a much better team and still only win eight games. I I really think if you look at that schedule, I mean, can they rip through the mid level the SEC again like they did this year? Maybe, but the odds probably this team is not like. Bulletproof, yeah, injury, hell, injury luck. They had a lot this year, um, and then of course, you know, you, in your non-conference, you're going to Oklahoma. Got Florida, Bama, Georgia. Not, uh, not exactly the easiest schedule, but 
That's just that's a discussion for many off-season podcasts, yes, I'm sure. Sir. Yes, uh, sir. Joe, on your way to Indianapolis, I'll let you go. Can't wait. Yes. Uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. It's been an interesting season. We'll have plenty more episodes of PFL as we head toward the bowl game, bowl season. Tennessee extends its season uh, last week at uh, Missouri, and then of course takes care of business against Vanderbilt and, and ends the. Uh, Commodore's three-game winning streak in the rivalry. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Like, review, subscribe, all that good stuff on your podcast purveyor of choice. It always helps. We'll see you guys again very, very soon.